So how's your summer going so far? You're still stuck inside doing a bunch of admin tasks that are keeping you away from chilling out on the beach or hanging out and enjoying some of this weather? Oh, look, HubSpot's on the way to help us out here because they've built some incredibly powerful AI tools into their CRM and it is saving reps a ton of time. We're starting to play around with this stuff and it is absolutely bananas. Just by some simple prompts, you're being able to do research, pull reports, summarize information, craft content, write copy, and it's all just right there. I mean, it's as easy as chat GPT, but it's actually in your system with your data. So it frees up so much time so you can get out there and do a little bit more fun stuff. So to learn more and get started today, go to HubSpot.com and check it out. Hey everyone, welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays, where we talk about sales, business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, mental health, and everything in between with guests who I truly respect and I think make a positive impact on the world around us. And today's conversation is with Gil Aluch. Now, Gil is the co-founder and CEO of Metadata, the marketing operating system that eliminates repetitive marketing tasks and improves performance at the same time. And we had a really cool conversation. He's got a fun background. He uh, started as a software engineer and then got into marketing. And he used his background in marketing to really start to look at it from a truly analytical way, which puts him in the top tier as far as marketers are concerned, because it's not necessarily about art. It's about science and more and more of it these days. And we had a great conversation about how to build and sell in tandem, right? Because we're always looking for that sales and marketing divide and how to create a better organization moving forward so we can complement each other. And that's where we went. We talked about ABM and how we can work together more effectively and how some of the best sales reps have a marketing background and how the best marketers have a sales background. And talked about measurement, what's important to measure, what's not. Talked about his outbound efforts and how they complement all the inbound work that he does. And then talked about AI and the impact it's having on us as an organization. And I got two different perspectives from him. One as a CEO and how he's looking at the future and the growth of his own business. And then how he's currently leveraging it in a lot of the technology and tools and resources he's using today. And last but not least, we talked about personal brands and how personal brand matters more than ever right now. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's make it happen. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays. I am here with Gil. What's going on, my friend? How you been? I've been great. It's great to, to be on your podcast. I'm really excited about that. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we were having some fun conversation before this that I think we're going to parlay into some really interesting stuff of where we're all going because you and I share very similar thought process and, and where we are right now from a market standpoint and where things are going with AI. But before we do that, give everybody some context here, Gil, where you're coming from and what you're up to these days so that people have some understanding of the expertise you're about to drop on us here. All right. My uh, name is Gil Alush. I'm the founder and CEO of Metadata.io. We're building the uh, operating system for the B2B marketer uh, using AI and and uh, and other things to automate the demand generation and other functions in the B2B marketing. My background, I'm a software engineer. I'm a robotics engineer in my background, actually, and uh, security before. Uh, always wanted to start a company uh, in between Starting a company and being a software engineer, I did an MBA in Boston, um, and then I spent uh, almost a decade running marketing uh, for for a few B two B companies. The first one was actually in, in Somerville, about uh, above Citizen Bank, uh, nice. David Square. Somerville uh, kid, yeah, Somerville. Somerville, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Haven't heard that for it's a little bit. It's not that bad. I don't know why it has that reputation, but I think it's just because it's an easy name. But it's not. <laughs> I actually lived in Somerville. I loved it. So it was super nice. Yeah, in comparison to some other places, it was actually super nice. Uh, 
And yeah, you know, as, a, as an engineer, you know, I didn't have any of the Don Draper, Mad Men uh, intuition and the, I don't know, the coolness of, I didn't come and come up with like cool, cool branding ideas. What I did do is I ended up using my technical and quantitative background to essentially experiment my way into, into marketing. I found a framework that, that I put together to guarantee that every company I go to, I can use data and experimentation and software to make pipeline happen for 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 my sales counterpart, and after a few doing it a few times, I realized um, every CMO needs a technical marketer. Uh, what if we can build the technical marketer and essentially mm. bring marketers back to doing creative, strategic content work and move away from UTM tags and buying CSV files and doing attribution and logging into seven different systems to launch campaign. And so remove them from all the technical, repetitive, and mundane and move them back into what they signed up for when they chose marketing as their career. And uh, I'm solely focused on on that area in B2B marketing. Love that. And I think that's where we're going to take this conversation because I think AI is going to be able to take care of a lot of that, both on the sales and the marketing side of the house. Um, and, and I'm curious, uh, you know, look, you drive a lot of you know, the whole idea is inbound, right? And that even even uh, HubSpot right now is they're, they're trying to go all bound right now because it's not just inbound anymore. How do you see the relationship? Because I, give you some context on this question. I, you know, I fundamentally, I'm, my background's marketing, right? So that was my degree. And um, I look at sales and marketing as almost two sides of the same coin in the sense that I believe sales reps need to become mini marketers right now because it's all about positive impressions, right? So that cold call, even though it might not get a an immediate response, if done well and left a good impression and a good voicemail, that might lead to somebody saying, oh, and that familiarity with it. And, oh, okay. So the next time I hit it. So what's your perspective of right now, especially with all the AI stuff, the relationship of sales and marketing and how they work together? Because I, I think it's changing drastically right now. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, somebody on the front lines of the marketing side of the house and how it affects sales, how you see it. I, first of all, I completely agree that it's the same thing and two different sides. I also completely agree that sales, I think the best marketers have been sales before. And I think mm-hmm. the best salespeople have some marketing, I don't know, some house marketing hustle going for them. I agree. Uh, you know, I remember being a VP of marketing for this company, for this startup. And uh, there was one day that me and the, and the head of sales we were just like buddy heads, and we were just like you know classic a classic argument between yep. you know because we were not closing deals, so like who's to blame? Is it sales? Right. It's marketing. I will I will be blaming him. He'll be blaming me. And then you know then we went to Vegas and uh, I had many beers and a burger. And fast forward that magical event of us. Uh, just spending some time face to face together the next week instead of sitting across from one another we sat next to one another every smart list i built in hubspot i built together with him with the head of sales he actually gave me a lot of his credits from i don't remember what system it was not zoom in photos something else something with rain i think long story short i remember that time it changed the way i saw sales and i realized a sales is the only the vp of sales is the only person who's gonna get me a seat at the table is the only person I actually need to make sure is successful at their job versus think about them as some kind of other entity that is now has to take what I did and take it to the next level. No, it's like, it's completely different. And, and so I think the relationship with sales and marketing should be that tightest. Yeah. It should be 
based on trust. It should allow for some failure on both ends. The feedback loop has to be intense, you know, super fast and, and brutally honest. And I think those organizations are able to create that level yeah. of honesty. For example, in, in metadata, I need to see my head of sales and my head of marketing like this. Yeah. You know, I need to be, I need to see them building trust. I need to see them hanging out together. I need to see them coming up with ideas and initiatives and closing them together. Uh, because I think that's, that's where the magic, uh, that's where the magic happens. So, um, absolutely. I think that's, that's fundamental and organizations who don't do that, who are still kind of thinking, oh, it's a different kind of job. Well, yeah. we're going to build the leads, but they have to, to do a good job and de develop them into a closed deal. It's extremely correlated. There is a causality between those two. And if you don't understand and deal with it from the very first time you even send an email out, uh, you're not doing it right. And under, just for the last point, what, what you mentioned about outbound emails, even if they don't close a deal. Yeah, I, you know, we have one of our largest customer, um, ThoughtSpot, Logan, who was like a marketer and a salesperson back in that day and an SDR. He, he sent an email. Yeah, it didn't make sense. He did the demo. This person who, who was getting the demo was working at a small startup, so it wasn't a fit. Uh, Fast forward four months only, she took a job at ThoughtSpot. The first company she called was us. Yeah. And we closed a six-figure deal. And yeah. so absolutely it's uh you don't know what will happen with that outbound email it's not just transactional that moment it will close or not but hey i want to take a quick minute to share with you what i'm working on these days with my new jb sales membership it includes live monthly training delivered by me on my two signature courses filling the funnel and driving to close it also includes monthly workshops that i'll be running on specific skills and different tech like ChatGPT and how to leverage it in the sales process and it gives you access to my entire online catalog with every course and every tip I've ever done. You get all of this for $420 a year as an individual or $5,000 for teams. And as an exclusive offer to my podcast listeners, if you go to www.jbarrows.com and click on the individual or team membership and use code podcast, you'll get 20% off. Let's make this happen together. So I, I didn't know I was going to go this, but this, this is interesting to me because I, I think a lot of it has to do with how they're incentivized, right? And I and I want to get some tactical things from you of how do you align that. But you know, a lot of times, you know, it's SQLs, MQLs, and you know, moving more towards uh, the all bound, if you will, and attributing credit. Because I remember here, for instance, you know, when I had Morgan on my team, Morgan Ingram, he would do a lot of outbound, right? <clears throat> And he would, and, and all of a sudden we'd get an inbound. And, and at the time I was getting all the inbounds and I would look at the inbound and it would be, and then I'd look in Salesforce at the time and I would say, oh, look at all the activity that Morgan has had into that account. But he was going after that account, but like the executive level, right? Now I would get the lead inbound from somebody else, non-decision you know, non maker, but it was from that company. And there's no way you can tell me that that wasn't because of his efforts, right? So how do you how do you track attribution when it comes to getting credit? Because that's ultimately, unfortunately, a lot of sales reps are are coin operated, right? It's like I will do this if I get paid for it and if I get credit for it. But if I'm not going to get paid for it, you know, I'm probably not going to do that activity. So or I'm not going to see it. So what are your thoughts on like even like structuring your your comp around who gets credit for what? Are we still in the world of marketing gets base salaries and there and sales reps, you know, it is what it is. And whoever gets credit, we got to do a round robin thing. How can we fix that part of it? Because I found that commission plans solve a lot of problems. I, first of all, I think you can educate me so much more. 
on this than I than I can possibly contribute. But I'll try to contribute my two cents of what we're yeah. doing here. Um, our marketing, since the day I hired the first marketer, it was not about leads. I told I told him, you know, you're gonna get a big portion of your salary. I think it's like thirty percent is based is your bonus, and it's gonna be based on pipeline. Nice. And overnight, over time, we'll actually get to that pipeline number. It was like, okay, so at first it was like MQLs, then he, then he was like, let's do SQLs, and today it's pipeline. Mm-hmm. So pipeline is, is the way we measure the marketing, uh, the marketing activity. Now, in in order to make sales do outbound, we added an outbound uh, bonus component. You're right. right. Anything with but, sales I've learned, if it's not in the compliant, it's not happening. Okay. And you know, it's, I'm almost thankful for it because I can predict what's going to happen based on yeah. the comp plan. So at least like there is there is no like guesswork. But yeah, uh, we need to we need to compensate marketing for us to explain to them if you generate a thousand leads and it's one SQL, you generated one lead and one SQL. I prefer the latter. A lot less yep. noise. Do yep. that. Spend all the money on the right ones. Um, and they get if they don't have pipeline. If pipeline is not happening for whatever reason. Then, then, then uh, they, they know it's in their responsibility. Uh, and the way we do attribution, it's attribution is yet to be solved, right? Like you yeah. ask thousand companies how to do attribution and get two thousand answers. Yeah. And uh, we try to look at two things: we have the account journey, and we we infer a lot of data from it. Um, the way we look at inbound for marketing is only we'll give credit from from for the marketing in metadata for the inbound opportunity only if there was no opportunity before and the person that they brought in directly from that first click is the decision maker, the main decision, the primary yeah. decision maker of that opportunity. So nice. it wouldn't, wouldn't happen without the campaign and we wouldn't bring the buyer without the campaign, now you get. But if, uh, yeah, of course, Salesforce, SDR is doing like 15 outbounds and then someone from that company is signing in, you know the conversation happened there. You know, right. someone was like, hey, check, I got this email, you know, check out this, this piece of software, and then you got the inbound. That's all the FDRs or the salesperson's credit. Love it. And, and it actually you brought something up there about using data to go after the right clients, which I don't think enough companies do. And you told that as I was prepping for this, you it was either on a podcast that you were on or or whatever, where you talked about how when you first started metadata, you sold to everybody. Like you were out there and be like, oh, this is great for everybody. And I'm, I'm like, okay, great. And then you quickly realized, wait a minute, the 80-20 Pareto's rule of okay. I really only should be focusing my efforts. Could you walk us through that little journey and how that, what was the, what was it that the light bulb went off of, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't working. We really should just get hyper-focused on ICP and then how you use data to try to find that true ICP. So, but walk us through your journey of of that light bulb going off at first with metadata. Yeah. And it's an ongoing journey because I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm refreshing this right now. It's just like, we are slowly getting better at it and we can optimize for better and better things. For the first time, you're right. We just thought we would outbound and, and try to go after anyone who would pay us. Yeah. Uh, that got us a lot of noise and also a lot of negative signals. Like I would have a lot of people getting the wrong experiments with the, with the product because it would not work for them whatsoever. <laughs> Actually, the product it didn't even work for us metadata when we were early you know i was worried like four years ago and we tried to use it and it didn't work i'm like shit is this thing working at all because it's not working for me and i'm <laughs> you know i built this but it was really not a fit like only at yeah. a certain stage when you only you have when you're growing and you have you have a demand generation function then in a the budget then it makes sense to optimize it um 
So we, we, at the first stage, we sell to everyone. Then we realize, okay, we're losing a lot of time here. Like the FDRs are, are spending and salesperson is spending time on someone who for sure will not be a customer. Yeah. And so that was what we, what we've done there is we basically built a criteria based on the closed one. We saw the closed ones that look good. We broke it. We enriched the hell out of that, that data set. We learned everything there is to learn about the company that do become closed one. And then we did it a few more times. We've done it a few more times since. Uh, the last time we've done it is not just based on the closed one, because today we know how to close like new logos. I wouldn't say it's all far from it, but it is a fairly like if you tell me, hey, can you bring in 50K deals at a certain velocity next quarter? We can take care of it. The problem that it becomes, do they stay? Do right. I bring in the right customers who are actually are at 80, 90? percent retention uh-huh. and that's how we optimize today and so today we what we've done is we looked at the customer with a high health score we're actually yeah. crushing it on the platform and the ROI is there the ARR is healthy the renewal rate is healthy now we take that cohort we enrich everything about that and now we break it down into who is our ICT and now we only market we broke it down to now tier A accounts tier B accounts we only go after tier A and tier B accounts Mm-hmm. And uh, we even bring a customer success person today or a customer at the beginning of the call, beginning of the sales cycle, so that they can tell us and help us understand and help the customer understand if they're a good fit, not just from a budget perspective, because there is also change management with metadata. You know, yeah. you know, maybe we'll get into it. But you know, once you use AI, it doesn't it's not like a marginal change. And like I can do the same work that you've done and now you have to do something a little bit different or an hour more a day. It is something fundamentally different. When you let a piece of software essentially make decisions that you otherwise have to make, you have to completely change the way you do it. And there is a certain kind of persona that is cool with that. And there is a majority of the personas where, you know, AI is still more frightening than than exciting. And today we're actually trying to account for that in the sales cycle. Is this a modern marketer who is cool? She's cool with the change. She's cool with letting technology take over. She's cool with letting go of all the technical mundane tasks that she may have done in the past uh, and we try to actually. And so the ICP is really evolving to be even psychological to an extent and that personality. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. So we're gonna be doing something a little different with the podcast. Russell Bradley Cook is the partner manager for HubSpot out in EMEA, and he's gonna be doing a podcast takeover for me while I'm at HubSpot's inbound conference in Boston from September 4th to the 8th. During that week, we're gonna be dropping an episode a day, and Russell's gonna be interviewing five different CEOs and talking about their personal perspective and career lessons learned, and also where the industry is headed. You're not gonna wanna miss these. Oh, and if you're coming to Boston for inbound, make sure you find me. I'll be around all week and would love to meet up with you. And that's what I think is AI is going to have such an impact on because now that that data is there too. They, the personality, I mean, Crystal knows and that type of stuff. I can actually see, you know, and also I used to, it's funny, I used to look at, you know, I, the, the kind of analog way of dealing with this was I would look at somebody's LinkedIn profile. And because I always said that when, you, when you're talking to people specifically below the power line, right, it's not the worst thing in the world to talk to a non-decision maker. Right. I, I mean, obviously, we want to talk to decision makers, but there's two types of people below that power line, if you will. There's people who are always going to be below that power line are not your change agents. And then there's the people that are on their way up. And so my analog old school way of doing it was looking at your LinkedIn profile and seeing every job you had. And, you know, were you in the same exact job for the past 10 years? And actually now to me, uh, that's a negative, even though in the past that was a positive. 
that to me is a negative because it's like, wait a minute, that means you haven't evolved, you haven't changed, you haven't really done anything. Look, you can stay at the same company, but show me that you've moved up two, three, four times in the past 10 years, right? So I would look for that trend to see, okay, yep, this person's moving up, right? So it, we're actually getting to the the nuance. I love this, you know, and, and this is where I think we can make a lot of insight is that evolving ICP to find that true sweet spot. Because when you find it, the sale, I'm not saying is easy by any stretch of the imagination, but holy shit, is it easier. And are you finding that? Are you are you finding that those leads that you drive inbound with those 20% with a hyper focus, you get far less quantity, but higher quality and, and higher conversion ratios? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And and there's still work to do. Like we're still trying to figure out you're matching crystal nose and I'm like, yeah, shit, I should be using those signals. Like you're right, totally right. Like that's a great, yeah. great <laughs> ecological data point. Uh, but absolutely when they're, you know, Either when we have a customer who who heard about us from another marketer who's done this, who's done the change, who's yep. done the change management and got to it where they are super fast. Mm-hmm. When we talk to, um, you know, if we talk to a C-level, sales cycle is like shortened to a week sometimes. Yep. Because, you know, you don't have to convince a CEO to do 10X with one with the same resources, right? But you may have to do it with an agency. The agency is like, no, I, I don't think I want to yes. <laughs> cut my margin by by ninety percent. And so, uh, yeah, when when we hit the right or or repeating customer, you know, repeating customers are crazy. We have this core. I think about thirty percent of our customer base are repeating customers, and they take us within a week to a new company. And it's sure. just fascinating to see how co- these deals are closing so fast. Trust is already at like hundred percent. There's yep. no. We just leap all those things that are otherwise blockers. Just we just stick through them. So the life is very different and they know what they're signing up for. I am ne- never worried. Like I have a new customer, a fourth customer, a four-time customer. And, uh, you know, I'm like, he's going to be successful on the platform for sure. I know exactly his, his MO for t- taking in technology. I know how he's going to train his people. He's going to take professional services first, et cetera. I know he's going to get to an amazing result. Uh, and I, and I just don't have to worry about it at all when he's the right, when it's the right customer, it's yeah. just, everything flows naturally. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the the tactical things? What are some of your favorite kind of demand gen? Like once you've gotten real tight on that ICP, right? Because right now it is so hard to stand out. It, it, to break through the noise, it is deafening right now. And I, it's just going to get worse. And I, I personally think that, you know, the SDR, BDR role is, is going to change drastically. It's changing in front of our eyes and it's going to be more marketing and operations and roll under that. And we're going back to full cycle sales because of the noise. And I do also think that our inboxes are going to be filled in the next six months or so with super personalized, super relevant emails. And I don't care whether that's coming from a human or not, quite frankly. So what are some of the things that you're doing outside of kind of the macro ABM kind of touch points everywhere, making sure that there's familiarity in the market? Are there some super tactical things that are that you're seeing work right now um, that you could share with the audience? Yeah, there are three, I would say there are a few playbooks that are working really well for us. The first one is a classic one. I'm not innovating here. It's G2 buyer intent. Mm-hmm. You'll get G2 buyer intent as well as um, qualified signals. Good buyer intent signals that end that end up in your sales force, and the, the, you're basically getting uh, insight into an existing buying cycle. So even if you don't have lots of marketing money or your you know your demand gen is is low, you at least want to know if a customer that looks like your best customer is currently in a buying cycle. At the very least, you want them to consider you. 
But yeah. so using G2, you know, giving prospects who are in a buying cycle and you know they're in buying cycle using those signals, you give them a piece of a piece of content that usually helps them make the decision which one yeah. to choose. So we we do this. If you're in a buying cycle, we identify you. We'll give you a piece of uh, content that compares the top uh, players in this particular category you're looking into. That is a quick win nice. because they want this piece of information. It's yeah. completely customer driven. So it's not like you came up with this. It's customer right. reviews driven. So it's objective data that you aggregate and give it to them um, at the time where they're actually assessing. So you basically save them some time. This used to be seems to be working well. Another one is user gems. User gems gives you a really nice. It's another uh, intense signal that gives you um, data about people changing. And since our best cohort are repeating customers, we know so early now when there is change in the org, and then we go and and have an outbound motion. And I want to pause on that for a second because I, I I've said this before, and I want to make sure people listening to this are very clear, especially some of the younger. Uh, kids out there making calls the the trigger if you will of somebody moving to another role is actually a fantastic one right yes only if they've had experience with your solution before right because and, and, and correct me if i'm wrong here Gil. if you go to another spot say you you, you know you start a new role at a new company how likely is it for you to invest in a brand new software slash technology slash service you've never talked about before Zero. like how likely is that very low exactly right so but i mean and look i'm the biggest benefactor and it sounds like you are too like when i get a vp of sales who loves the training and they pop over to some other company it, it's not even a sales call it's like hey john when can you get started here i gotta exactly. you know it's like all right great done so it's like uh, there's this misnomer out there that oh somebody just moved it. oh you just got a new job congratulations gil like hey whatever it's like dude that that all you should be saying in that regard is hey congrats gil saw you just got the new role uh, if and when the dust settles and you're open for these type of things, would love to have a conversation with you. Otherwise, here's some cool resources. Good luck. But don't you dare try to, yeah, let's meet. No, let me talk to you because there's not a shot in hell and you're probably actually going to ruin the opportunity in the long term if you if there is one there, right? Yeah, it's if you one of the 100 other emails the person is getting. Right. You know, you're starting your job, you got a new fundraise, you're getting like the thousand inbounds in your inbox because right. of that event. And it's always, it's always the most non-personalized, personalized email. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm there with you. So, but it, I've, you know, when it's used right, and uh, Abdullah is doing a phenomenal job. It's just like yep. he sent six, six six opportunities in like the first super small email he sent. It's just like when it's super, when it's when the when the campaign is very specific and customer, like someone changing their career, the messaging there, everything there is about is about that that uh, that particular trend. The response rate is very very high. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I see that. Yeah. What was then? So what was the third one? So there's there's the intent data. There's the people moving and others. What's the other player? You said there was a third one early player. There is another one uh, that might not be. Uh, I don't know why it's not more popular. It is the convo ads, convo ads and document ads. So and LinkedIn, there is a particular type of ad type that is actually more like an email within LinkedIn, you can choose the particular personas who are getting it at particular company. So you can set it to a very particular list, an ABM, if you will, yeah. and it doesn't go to their other inbox. It go, it's, uh, it's basically LinkedIn handles the email mechanism for you. They make okay. sure not to email them too much. They put it at the top of the inbox. And what we do is we use that in combination with 
a gift card and say, hey, if you if you're if you bring a qualified if if you're an ICP for us, you're qualified and you take a demo, we'll give you like a fifty dollar gift card, and we use document ads and convo ads campaign type because we know that they actually reach it. That is another way for us to. It's a pay for play, but it's a guaranteed. Uh, it's a guaranteed demand from the right ICP. The only thing you don't have is timing. You don't right. know if they're at the right time to buy, right, but right. it's the right person, and it's uh, so that's been working really well for us as well. If we ever have to complement, uh, then then it works. Uh, I will say we're trying to do less and less of that, and we're now changing. We're tap- tapering down the paid, and we're ramping it up with a lot of content instead. And yeah. so content is becoming, I think, slowly but surely our biggest uh, driver. Um, and for the long term, I think that's what we're that's the bet we're making. And so what type, what type of content are you putting out there, right? Because I think there's a lot of different ways you, I mean, you know, there's the advertising content, obviously, and then there's this type of stuff that we'll cut up and we'll do little snippets and video stuff. And then there's eBooks. And I mean, is it, is it everything? If you were a market, if you were starting right now, or you were advising somebody and mentoring somebody on starting, where, what would you tell them to start focusing on from a content standpoint? Yeah, and it's never and it's never everything. If you, if uh, the answer is every and ever everything is always the wrong answer. Yeah. For a startup, it's like maybe, maybe three things that you can do. Uh, I would say if you're if you're a startup and you're trying to build pipeline and you're looking at content as your way, first of all, be be like brutally authentic and honest yeah. because there's so much bullshit out there. There's so much bullshit in SaaS, ex- extra bullshit in Martech. Like your pricing page doesn't have pricing. Put it there and then talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so there's the the content. I would say the biggest one is um, is value add for the customer, where they can they can read it and immediately take action on it. Um, so, for example, playbooks. We have metadata.io slash playbooks, super popular area. It's like we it's like a, our customers may, many times write the content uh, and we put it in a template where if you follow these instructions, it's going to take you this much time and you're going to likely to see this this outcome out of it. So, like very tactical, workshopy kind of content yeah. is very very helpful. Um, the other one is data. So we are our most, our most famous, uh, most popular piece of uh, asset that we have is the benchmark report, which basically we aggregate and anonym, anonymize all of the data that we have to okay. show you like what call to action gets you, you know, yep. more, more clicks. So what kind of content gets you faster sales cycles, so on and so forth. We break it down by industries and company size and stuff like that. We give the report, but what I find is people are mo- way more excited about is getting the data, getting the and data in a tableau and playing yeah. around with it to, to see what, what makes sense for them. Um, those, those are very, very, very we, successful. We could work on some together if you, but because I did that with Gong and, and I actually use that. Um, I'm, I'm curious your perspective on personal brands as they relate to organizations, because with Gong, you know, look, Gong chorus exec vision, right? And at the time, you know, and I'm not, I'm I don't not, even know the third one. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, tomato, tomato in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, one's a little bit better in these areas and that type of thing. And don't get me wrong, I love Gong. Um, but what really where I saw Gong hit the map was when Chris Orlob uh, first started and using the Gong data to do those little snippets and then say how it was relevant. And I, I mean, that changed, actually, that changed my training, quite frankly, because I was looking at that data and I was saying, holy shit. And uh, thankfully, a lot of it complemented what I was doing, right? But there was a lot of stuff that conflicted with what I was talking yeah, about. So I would use that yeah. to test and I would say, okay. And then we actually did a whole series around it where I would, ch- and, and a lot of the gong data is integrated into my training. It's like, you know, on average, best reps do this, average reps do this, and this is why you do that. 
and it was super tactile and got tons of traction. But then Chris went and took a job internally, right? He, got, he took a sales job and all of a sudden you didn't hear from Gong at all. And then Devin Reed came and started mm-hmm. doing the same thing, blew it up, right? And now Devin Reed took another job and I haven't heard much from Gong in quite a while, quite frankly, right? So one is, I, I think you're spot on, is like anything that is high, high value and not gated, right? So it's not, not like gated. you got to give me your stupid fucking email address to get this super highly valuable piece of thing because I'm going to associate the value regardless and I'm going to get pissed off if I can't get it. So, but as that ties to personal brand, because quite frankly, and I won't name companies, but there are other companies that are doing that with data, but the company page is posting it. So it's getting very little limited traction. But when Chris Orla posts it, the personal brand, so how do you look at personal brand as it relates to your marketing efforts, right? Because I I do think there's a lot of companies right now that are still worried to let their sales reps build their personal brands, to let somebody, you know, a person represent their brand. Because heaven forbid, what if that person goes away? I mean, like, right? They will. So how do you look at that right now from a, from a CEO standpoint, um, what would you advise other CMO CEOs as far as personal brands and how they relate to your marketing efforts? Look, uh, personal brand, I think he is significantly more powerful than a company brand. Let's yep. just start there. If there is no yep. first name, last name, then it's very hard for me to identify with that entity. Yep. Just, you know, there's no face. I'm like, who is this person? You know, like I said, company, you know, company, social, social page, it's like, it's whatever. Right. Uh, I think a personal brand is so much stronger. Absolutely. If you did a great job in building a personal brand, that person will go away. They're not going to work for you forever. No one is going to work for you forever. You're not going to work for your, for your company forever. So right. they're going to bounce at some point. And you know you did well when they are doing extremely well when they leave. Mm-hmm. Right? They're doing consulting usually afterwards and they're just like bombarded with... with uh, And I have that with some of my former employees. You know, they texted yeah. me, thank you for great four years or three years because all the success in metadata now is translating that crazy, crazy, uh, you know, consult. And it's amazing. Uh, I think... The danger for me, the for me, the fear gets over the opportunity, the excitement when there is when when an when a person will divert the brand benefit to some third party website or a brand. So like if an employee is doing is their own personal branding and like fast forward two years and now they have their own brand, their own website, right, right. that's conflict of interest there. Yeah. I would say until it gets to that point, um, and maybe avoid that point to by setting up expectations ahead of it. Say, hey, I want you folks to build your own brand. It doesn't have to be only your domain expertise too, meaning we're a marketing company. So of course our marketing team needs to have a brand. I need to have a brand. That's classic, of course, Perfect. I'll work on that. But what's preventing me from the head of sales is creating a brand on building a great sales organization that works with yeah. the market. What prevents my head of people talking about building a culture that is surviving these these times, whatever. Mm-hmm. There is nothing preventing us to do it. I think personal brands are are for the win. I invest in them. I'm happy to invest in like consultants to help coach my executives or employees how to come up with better posts, better mm-hmm. content, so on and so forth. I'm all for it, knowing that it's gonna be a benefit for the person and a better benefit for the company. And then at some point it's gonna be only benefit for the person, and that's okay. I yeah. think you have to be cool with that. And if you set expectations ahead of it, you have X amount of years that you benefit mm-hmm. from it. Otherwise, yeah. they're going to bounce and do it somewhere else. Um, yeah. I think a person who wants to build a personal brand, a person who is ambitious, maybe a little bit of an entrepreneur bug, 
is a huge blessing. You just have to learn how to divert that energy in a way that is, uh, for some time, beneficial f- to both you and that person. And at some point, it's going to be just for their career. It's okay because it's there. Y'all know that I love being on this new network because of all the cool exposure and cross-promotion that we do, but also because of some of the podcasts that I'm getting exposed to here that are quickly becoming some of my favorites, especially this one coming up, Created, hosted by John Uche. Now, Created gives you an inside look at how to build a business as a creator and improve your creative process and also stay ahead of the latest content trends. He's an ex-YouTube and Instagram employee and breaks down the creator economy with guests like Logan Paul, Paris Hilton, Jake Paul, and many, many others. And his most recent episode why YouTube's biggest star left is really interesting. Lisa Koshi, she was actually there before Mr. Beast and she was had I think 25 million subscribers or something like that and she bailed on YouTube and they dive into why which I thought was fascinating. So you're gonna have to listen to it. All right, so check out his podcast created wherever you can get your podcast now and let's make it happen. Do you recommend, so, cause that's, I love them. And I always look at it as, look, I, I'm always hiring my replacement. I'm always trying to build. I'm, I'm, my goal is to, I always say when employees come on board, you know, what's your pursuit of happiness? What does happiness look like for you? Right. Cause my job is to help you get there. And I know I'm a stepping stone to get to that point, but I'm going to do everything I can to get you there. So let's have an open conversation about this. If you want to build your brand. And that's, this is exactly what I told Morgan, by the way, I said, look, you're on your way. You know, you're you're at a different stage than I am. I'm 47 years at the time, you know, 44 years old. I got a wife and a kid and, and uh, you know, I've I, I got my business here. You're a 23-year-old kid. You're on your way up. I, and I looked at him genuinely. I said, look, give me three years. Give me three years. I will teach you everything I need to know. You need to know on how to run a business, but I need you to bleed for me. I need you to go out there and pref- like build your personal brand, but have it make sure it's tied to, to, to JB sales. So there's a benefit for both of us. And then when the time comes, we'll look at each other and say, go. So in this world of quiet quitting and, you know, quiet firing in a lot of ways too, how, how do you have that conversation? How do you personally have that conversation with the the team you're building to set expectations of, Hey, I want you to stay here as long as we both are getting value out of this, but I understand this. Do you, are you that like authentic and transparent about it? I got there. First of all, God bless you for having this conversation with Morgan. I think that's so beautiful. Um, that you, that you had that and had, had such, I think it took me time to graduate to that level. Um, right. At first I wasn't like that at all. No, at first I would take every person leaving, any person doing anything else outside of metadata to heart in a bad way and get super negative about it. That's like my first few years. My last few years, I'm, I'm the person that you've described. So, you know, I had a boss who working for that company, uh, Spotfire in, in Davis Square. I had a boss. I'm, I wasn't a great employee, you know, like, uh, you know, entrepreneurs are usually not great employees. No, and, we're and terrible. I had, I had uh, yeah, we're not. Not the best. And so, uh, you know, I had like this relationship with my former boss there and he quit and he moved to the competition. And so then I had this new dude, Boston Italian dude, uh, Lou Giordano. He was <laughs> my, my, if you're listening to, uh, you're, you're a great person. You know, he yeah. came in to this like problematic employee and you know, he managed me so differently. He was like authentic, positive, wasn't trying to force, you know, ego on me, like none of that shit. He was like, yeah, I know yeah. I get who you are. I'm, you know, this is what I need. And I was an H1B visa. So I was like strongly attached to the company. H1B visa, when you're an immigrant, you have to be sponsored yeah. by the company. If you're, if you're fired, you have 30 days to find a new sponsorship. And if not, you're out of the country. So you're like yeah. a little anxiety about that. I remember you're talking about like silent um, resigning or silent firing. My, my uh, default action would be to find a job 
and let them know two weeks before that I found a job. Especially that will minimize my risk because right. I needed to get the sponsorship. With this guy, he built so much trust that I came to him and told him, look, it's, I think it was July, it's July. Now uh, I'm going to move to Silicon Valley soon in like in four months. I told him I already have uh, a ticket, so it's happening. I'm telling you four months ahead, you can either fire me now and uh, basically tell me to go yourself. You know, like it's not, you know, I don't, I don't care about it anymore because I know you're gone. Or, yeah. you know, we work together on doing the best transition. You know, I, I have, I didn't, I told him I didn't find a job yet. I'm not, I don't even have any prospects. Mm-hmm. But I need to find a job, so by, by, we can basically do this together. Like I'll transit. You know, we have four months to figure out how to best uh, part ways, and he loved it. You nice. know, he helped me find a job. He flew me somewhere else. He took care of me in terms of the visa. He was a reference for me for my next job. It was amazing the difference, like what yeah. happened. And so I remember that, and I tell that story time after time in my current company to remind people: if you know, if you're burnt out, if you don't want to work here, if you find a different opportunity, whatever it is, tell me as early as possible. We'll figure it out with you, and then you know we'll give you a severance. We'll, I'll, you know, I'll be your biggest fan, and yeah. I'll give you the like. It will be. I want you to be to be successful. So the more I know, and the more we do these things together. Uh, it works out. It also helps having this conversation when the person just starts. You know, I had yeah. a conversation with my head of marketing, my former head of marketing, when he just started. He was with me for four years. And I told him, Jason, let's make this deal where there is no silence. Like, if you're thinking about moving, tell me. And if I think about moving you out, I'll tell you. And we're going to have the most brutally honest conversation. And I promise to have this with you. I promise to never surprise you. And he told me, yeah, I promise to never surprise you either. And we literally perfect. had this and we would have it. And sometimes we would decide, no, this is not the time we should continue. And then one time we decided, no, it's, it is four years later. This is a good time to part ways in a great way. And it happened, and I'm so thankful for it. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that conversation, building the trust over time. Yeah, I love that. I, I, have the, I have the same line I actually tell people when they come on board here. Look, I won't surprise you. You don't surprise me. Like you, the, And I tell them, the only time you will be surprised is when I'm surprised. You know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, obviously there's certain there's things you can do as a founder. There's certain, you know, if you get an acquisition thing, there's there's only so right. much transparency you can legally, right? Exactly. That, that would jeopardize the whole opportunity. So un- and unfortunately, there's, there's, there is a level of transparency that you, you can't cross at a, as a, but I think the more you set clear expectations with people about who you are, what you're all about, where they're going, where you are, right. you get far more healthy uh, organizations because people will want a want to stay longer and b when they're done doing what they're passionate about they go find something else and quite frankly leaders out there if your reps are no longer passionate about doing what they're doing you want them to leave because they're not going to be good employees for you they're going to ultimately wither away at the at the foundation you've built so I love that mentality um, Let's talk a little bit about measurement, right? Because I think a lot of this it comes down to, I mean, you come from a data background and, you know, as it relates to employees, we can measure all sorts of stuff about them, but I think the expectation is more important. But when it comes to go-to-market strategies and messaging, for instance, right? We talked earlier about the agile framework here of making sure that you're constantly minimum viable product, get it out there, get feedback, iterate, iterate, iterate. So how do you, let's, let's go to the messaging side of your message and your approaches. How, how often do you evaluate your messaging to see if it's working and um, how often is it changing right now? It's, uh, it's quite fluid. Um, 
we update the messaging, I would say probably twice a year. Okay. And the catalyst for those changes will be a lot of customers. So a lot of um, gong calls, for yeah. example, yeah. will tell us what keywords our customers are using or our prospects are using to describe us. And if it's different than the way we're describing ourselves and it's good, then yeah. we'll we'll tailor it towards whatever they're they're saying because that's what's happening in the room when we're not there anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be when we know when we use messaging to fix a gap. For example, with metadata, a year ago, if you looked at our website or our messaging, you'll be like, metadata is this magical box that you buy, and then you click, you press the button, and there's pipeline coming out that way. And that was cool because that was the, key, the situation for 33% of the customer. Those, yep. you know, modern, futuristic, like, like that worked for them. They figured out how to make it a, ma- a magical box like that. But we realized for the remainder, that's not the case. You have to work, you have to do change management, you have to do marketing in a different manner, completely much more connotative and scientific. You have to be open to AI taking decisions for you. There's a change management essentially. And because of that, we're changing the messaging to reflect that gap so that when I'm a prospect and I'm going to the website, I'm not going to read their magic box, but I'm reading it's a magical software that I have to put time and investment into to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these, these are usually the sources and the resources that we use to, to update the... And we try to update it. Uh, yeah, we try to be fairly fluid with it. If if every year the messaging doesn't change, it's almost a red flag to me because there's like there's so much happening in a year and all this feedback is coming from the market. What are you doing with it? Do you think with AI and what you know about it right now that we are going to get to a like almost a just in time adjustment to marketing by analyzing what what you talked about your ICP and figuring out, oh, we just got three new customers that fit a slightly different ICP and this is how they talk to us on the gong. You know, do you think AI eventually is going to get to the point where all of a sudden, if you come to my website, Gil, it's going to say something different than if somebody else comes to my website because you fit a different persona than that and AI is going to Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. 100% is going to be a one-to-one. Just like you go into Netflix and Amazon, yeah. you will go into any random B2B software website and it should be fully optimized. I mean, 90% of the content of a website is irrelevant to me. Yes. And I want to just see the 10% and I wanted to enrich that 10% with everything you know about me. Yes. That's what, because I remember when we first, you know, my first company, we did, you know, we did the typical website, right? Where it was, you know, tabs and there was 15 different things. We put all sorts of great cuts and all this other stuff. And then after a while, we just looked at the data of the of the web traffic and it was like the homepage. Yep. We got a huge hits on our homepage, a fraction of them click on this link. And we have like 1% on our pod, you know, our blog, 1% on the contact, you know, and all these. So it was like, why, why do we have this huge infrastructure for a website when really they only give a shit about one thing? And, and now I think it's about, I, I've always felt like this, you should be marketing specifically should be in the choose your journey approach, right? Where you come to a website, you tell the website who you are and based on who you are and what you're looking for, it, it, it brings you to different sections. Now, Previously, we'd accomplish that through a, a type form site type scenario, which again is a barrier to entry in a lot of this stuff. Do you think it's it's going to automatically know who I am, and and or do you think I'm going to have to kind of self-select a little bit here because I, I want to talk futuristically, but then reality of of where I see where I think things are going. I think far future, yes. In between those two, I think privacy regulations will prevent it from 
from yeah. being completely automated. So I think probably a hybrid between the two. Today, today I can tell you that you can tell, you can know exactly which company is visiting you. You can also know exactly where they came from, the, especially if you created that campaign, you can create that attach, you can kind of close the loop. Even if it's a post on LinkedIn, you can close the loop. And one of the, and you can also know the persona without the name, meaning you can yep. tell, you know, the job title, you know, the function, you know, the seniority, yep. all of that data is available today. If you want to get it today, it's available today for every visitor. <laughs> the way you can uh, augment it is by using understanding where they came from, what kind of creative they click or content they consume, where, where were they did it, what channel, so on and so forth. That will give you some more data. And then the final one is self-reporting. So asking a few questions, um, it's very, it's very delicate, right? Asking questions because that is a, it's a drop there. Yep. Uh, but I think a few self-reporting questions, that hybrid will get you all the information you need. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if all you did is just change the menu and eliminated some blocks on your website, if all you did is just eliminate some, some noise, you'll see a huge, uh, huge increase. Absolutely. So let's finish up on where, how you, two things. One is two totally different topics, but I want to see if you can get them in here. What is, what are you seeing as a CEO and how are you preparing your company to deal with what's the next 12 to 24 months? And then the other is, you know, as a CEO, what do you respond to these days? But let's start with the first one. Let's start with like, if, if somebody's prospecting to you, cause I always like to give the audience a little bit of perspective of, Hey, you're an ICP of some people out there. So like, how does a CEO think, right? A lot of people are like, oh, why the hell should I reach out to the CEO? Why the hell should I, you know what I mean? That, like, I'm, and, and they're also scared. But I want to talk just briefly about what are you doing right now, for instance, to prepare your team for all the variables that we know are coming? And AI is one of them, and it's the massive one. But there's a lot more. I mean, the economy, the wars, the, you know, all this other stuff. So what are you doing to make sure that you're a resilient business right now that can flex as we move into this brand new world of AI and everything else? So first and foremost is economy. I tell the, the company, you know, when the economy was thriving, we were thriving and that's great. When the economy is not thriving and we're not thriving as much, it's not great. And we need to figure out how to thrive in this economy. Yep. So sure, the economy might come back in a month, in a year. Yep. And when it does, it's going to be beautiful. Right. But until then, then what? What are we, yep. uh, you know, how do we make sure that we are thriving in an economy that is challenging because there are plenty of companies who do yeah. and to focus on that. And so we're, we're obsessing around there, around that exact element. How do we become a painkiller in a down economy? Two, yeah. two things together, you know, super sticky and in the shitty economy. And that's basically the, the, the first way we're, we're dealing with it. And uh, it's everything that we do should be around the metrics that are relevant for a tough economy, GRR, unit economic sales cycle, things like that. Um, as to the second one, AI, I, you know, I try to tell people that it's those things are happening, uh, whether we like it or not. And yep. you can see, you can see it two ways, uh, with every AI technology, you can go through the levels of like denial and anger and, and like, this is not happening. And then one day you wake up and it's there and now you're surprised because you were not ready or you try to do reconnaissance, you know, like way ahead of time, like go way ahead of time, try to really understand what's coming years before. If you're a truck driver, go become the truck driver who teaches and trains the, yep. the AI to do automated, you know, if you're working in a, in a, in a factory or in, I don't know, like doing logistics, be the person who works in the logistics 
a company that is using robots. But use, you know, their the the early adopters are out there. So if you basically jumped into the early adopters group, you just fast forward your career. You just like figured out how to use something that you're afraid of to become actually the thing that you ride into the sunset. Um, that's that's a narrative I'm using for those for those two. You know the um, the the analogy. And you might <laughs> have you ever seen the movie um, Hidden Figures? Have I seen the finger? I don't know. You should if you haven't seen it again. What? And, and it, for for this reason, so you have another analogy because I use this one. There's a it's it's when NASA went to the to the moon, right? Like it was the first time here in the states, the U.S. NASA went to the moon, and there was a subplot in there where all these women were computers. Oh, I've seen that. Oh, there's right? a yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember, right? And then the I've head that, of yeah. the computers walked by and saw the IBM mainframe, <laughs> and she said, "Holy shit." And she knew that was going to replace them. And she had two choices. One was go back and tell her team, holy shit, I saw that. We have to get better. We have to be smarter. We have to be better better mathematicians because we got to show them that we can do this better than them. Or option two, which was what she did. She grabbed the manual and she started learning it, learning how to use it, learning how to turn it on, learning how to maintenance it. And then she taught her whole team how to use it, how to turn it on, how to maintenance it. So when they turned that sucker on, the IBM engineers didn't even know how to use the fucking thing. And so those women went from 100% replaceable, 100% replaceable to indispensable because they learned how to use the machine. And I think that's going back to the 80-20 Pareto's rule. That's my fear to a certain degree. I'm excited because I'm, I'm trying to figure out this shit all in. But there's, a, there's a still a very large part of the population that is not being exposed to this, that doesn't think this is a thing. You know what I mean? That's going to impact them. And that's those little group I'm, I'm worried for. Uh, yeah, I, I go goosebumps when you were giving that example. I think that's exactly how it is. It's exactly right. how it is. You either adopt it and write it and take advantage of it, or you're afraid of it and you're making this out of fear and you're going to be uh, replaced at some point. So let's end on this one, two punch. One is let's take you just as a CEO, obviously you get prospected to probably <laughs> a lot by you know emails and calls. And what do you, outside of calling into your network and looking for referrals for things that you want, what was, what was the last thing you, the last prospecting thing you responded to and why? I answer all the time to prospects um, when it's good. So I would say 90% of it is not good. So it's just easy. I right. literally look at my inbox on LinkedIn on my inbox and 90% of the emails look the same. Well, you know, I'm not sure if you saw my last thread, you know, like they have like the introduction, like one employee introduces you to another. Like they have all these right. tricks. That's like 90% of the noise. I don't respond to any of that. But then sometimes someone sends me an email that is short concise has value in it. I looked at your website. I saw you competing with blah, blah, blah. These are the keywords. Or I did a quick analysis and those are interesting. And I respond because they put time into, they put half an hour at least homework into this email. I'm going to put one minute to reply it and and follow up on that. Now it might be interesting. It might not be, but at the very least I'm following up. And if they work with me, like if I ask, I tell them in the email, interesting, can you give me a sample data set? Can you give me pricing? And they actually follow up instead of trying to Go back to their okay. Let's qualify. Let's get him on a call. No, they're like okay. Here's the pricing. Here's about here's the data set. Then they get direct access to the buyer. Then I, I ask my SVP of engineering like you put 15 minutes and give this a shot because at the very least their sales cycle is good. That's you know that is working. So like maybe yeah. other stuff is working in their excellent at other stuff too. Yeah. I I love getting good prospect emails actually. I I, I appreciate that. I, I responded to one today, as a matter of fact. I, I, I mean, and again, I think it goes back to that personalization and relevance, right? So in this world, and this is what I hope, I, I really hope this this shakeout in the SaaS industry is going to fix a, a, the grow at all cost mentality of, and the mass cadences blasting out to a million things. 
going back to that 80 20 those 20 percent hyper focused icp and then doing some fucking homework on them and making it real and not using fake you know triggers if you will of you know hey congrats on the new reward or whatever it might be so on that note gil uh love the conversation here let's let's give uh let's give the audience uh places to go follow you i mean now they know how to like what what it takes to get your attention but if for for metadata and what you're doing right now if you want to just explain some of the cool things and who you focus on so if there's anybody out there listening to this because i'm thinking of uh, a lot of things based on this conversation that i want to talk to you about personally as far as my company is concerned so talk to me about exactly who you serve and then what some of the cool things that you're doing that, that people can get in touch with you about thank you for that opportunity so you know mid-market companies you know 100 employees and above if you're if if economical sustainable growth is something that you're investing in right now um, you should check out, first of all, even without buying anything, just check out metadata.io slash playbooks. These are customer best marketers written playbooks, how to do IBM, how to do outbound, how to do, you know, branding in B2B, how to build a community. There are some really good best practices for B2B marketing. I think it's nice to start from a good baseline versus start everything from scratch. So if you're a B2B marketer, you should check out all the playbooks. They're free and there's like line by line instruction how to do. If you're um, if you're looking to have a sustainable growth and building pipeline for a sales counterpart, you should check out um, MetaMatch. It's a free trial. It's one month that you can get a few audiences, and at the nice. very least, it makes sure that even if you just spend five grand a month in ads, so you're not a fit for the metadata metadata platform, you want to make sure that every dollar that you do spend goes to the right company, right. and within that company, goes to the right persona. Um, and you can leverage that data set across function across channels that previously were locked to you. Like right. Instagram doesn't have B2B targeting. Facebook doesn't have B2B targeting. But once you create that targeting layer with MetaMatch, you can apply it to those channels and open up those channels and probably get like customer acquisition costs that are a lot, a lot lower cost. So oh, yeah. uh, MetaMatch, Playbooks, those are two good resources, even for startups to check yeah. out. Very cool. And then what's the best way to connect with you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it... LinkedIn, you know, as well as Gil at metadata.io. I'm always happy to, to talk. Perfect. And for those of you listening, it's G-I-L <laughs> and then last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. How do, uh, how do you pronounce that? Just so I'm, yeah. I don't bother it. A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. You actually got it right, which is amazing. But it's um, just Gil at metadata.io. Is All, right. All right. Perfect. So awesome, Gil. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm looking Same forward here. to staying connected here. Right. Same here. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great rest of the week. Absolutely. And everybody, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and got something out of it. Made you think a little bit differently and get on that bus as far as AI is concerned because it's leaving. And if you ain't on it, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a pretty uh, shrinking world if, if nothing else. So look, and like I always say at any of these podcasts at the end of all of them, go out there and make somebody smile today. Because look, no matter how bad your day went or you think it's going, you make somebody smile, you know you had a good day and the world needs a lot more of that right now. So thank you all very much. And I'll see you on the other side. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts out there right now, and I can't thank you enough. Now, to keep the momentum going, it would mean the world to me if you could go and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and share some of your favorite episodes with your network. Also, check out my new website at www.johnmmichaelbarrows.com where you'll find even more ways to engage. There's a ton of free content, and you can also get trained from me directly as an individual or for your team. 
Look, I'm out there selling every day just like you are, and I'm doing my best to stay on top of all the latest trends in technology. So if you're looking to level up and you give a shit about this profession of sales, let's connect and let's make this happen together.